Sorry. What we're doing is uh, we're going through books of the Bible in Genesis, but we're going to pause at that right now. We're going to actually um, uh, go to a different text, so hopefully you'll be encouraged. It'll be on your screen. If you need Bibles right now, uh, you can raise your hand and it will pass out Bibles for you. Uh, you can just... Yeah, if there's any people need any Bibles, um, hopefully it'll be on your screen as well. You can sit there right there. I just want you to know I'm so glad that you guys have come out and rejoiced with us about King Jesus. Um, we're going to be looking at a very interesting, very intense, hopefully uh, blessed passage in, in Romans, the book of Romans. Okay. Um, as we continue on, I just want you to know if you're learning about uh, the King Jesus. Um, for the first time, or if this is something that's reminding you, um, just want to encourage you. This is probably for the Christian, the most important day uh, of all creation uh, for us, as we remember his- historically what the Lord has done. And um, no matter where you are, um, whether you're a mature believer or you're just right now trying to figure out what is the gospel, what's the cross all about, we just want to encourage you that. Um, that you're in the right place, and hopefully that you, the gospel will be extremely clear to you. Um, a couple of things that uh, that we want to do just to encourage you is, if you can pop it up, please. Is our heart for Sunday is the gospel will be clear um, to you, to you guys. Continue on, please. We will see our place in the gospel, and we will gain an understanding of how the resurrection matters. Um, I, I put this up, and if you if you're familiar with MacAv, I usually don't do this, but I want I want this time because I want to be as, as clear as we can about what's going on and why the resurrection matters. And in doing so, I, I have more slides because I want it's going to be kind of some sense academic, but hopefully uh, will encourage you in your faith um, as well. What we're doing right now, we're looking at, at Romans, and we're going to start. Any other any individuals need Bibles before I begin? Romans chapter 1. The author of Romans is Paul, writing to a church that's now figuring this whole thing out, uh, who's who's walking with the Lord. He's basically introducing himself uh, to these individuals. And and there's a mixed bag here. And so he's trying to allow the gospel to meet individuals uh, who have understood Judaism, uh, Judaism and those individuals who are new to the game, specifically, though, mostly people who had an understanding of what was going on in the Old Testament. So we're going to probably handle some of those assumptions as we move on, uh, just to encourage you. Uh, but what he does, uh, he starts off with what you call a prescript. Uh, we're going to look at that prescript this morning, and hopefully it will have really encourage us on, what, on why the resurrection matters. We're going to look at verses 1 uh, through 6 in chapter 1. Um, Paul, probably I would propose, is probably the greatest theologian um, in, in history, if not one of the greatest theologians in history. And he starts off uh, this passage, and I'm just going to jump right in in verse 1. He starts off this passage in a very interesting way. Um, he says, a servant, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. He starts by saying, look, um, I am a servant. I am a slave of the Lord. That my whole life at this point, for whatever reason, hopefully we'll get into as we read the text has been cataclysmically changed because of something that has happened in my life based on this person, Jesus. And for whatever reason now, I am his slave. And he continues on by saying, 
uh, slave of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, that these words that I'm saying to you, he says, I've been called and probably actually the word set apart is kind of redefining what it means to be called. That I've been set apart by God, him trying to let the readers know you and me now in this century and then the Romans back in the first century, letting them know that basically I have gotten this call to be a presenter. Uh, of God's word. So that's very important. In order, in order for us to even continue the conversation, we need to understand that Paul is trying to make a very important point here, family. And that is just that I'm not here talking to you as a gifted preacher. This is Paul talking to these guys. I'm not here talking to you as a gifted teacher. I am here talking to you basically because I am not some regular dude who has some regular words. But I want you to know something that God is trying to speak to you right now. So that's how he begins the whole passage, that I'm called by God, I'm a servant of God, I'm an apostle. The apostle means I'm a sent person of God, and that I'm saying words here, not just in my own strength, but God himself wants to say something to you. He continues on by saying, the gospel, he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So he says, I'm a servant of God, this Christ Jesus I'm totally sold out for him. And this, this information, this gospel that I haven't gotten to yet, this gospel has been talked about for thousands of years about this person that we'll get to in a moment that this content is about, this Jesus person, has been talked to for a long time. And so I think for you and me, as we look at this, him saying, so I'm a servant of God. Here's the gospel. We'll get into it in a moment. But this gospel has been talked about for thousands of years, and it's about this person, Jesus. The question I had to ask myself, so is he a fanatic? He calls himself a servant. He calls himself, he says, I'm a slave. I'm set apart for God. Obviously, his whole life has changed. Is he fanatic? Is he, uh, is he taking this thing too serious? Uh, what's Paul's deal here? What is he trying to say here? And he continues on by helping us see exactly uh, what he is trying to say in verse 3 when we get to the content of the gospel here. I'm going to continue to build these verses here and set up a point. So he continues on and says that this gospel is regarding his son, verse 3, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. And I'm going to stop right there. He says that this gospel has content. The content of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Right. But he does something here. He gives us some. He says I'm, there, there are some things that I want to assume that I got to make sure you understand. And the first assumption is that Jesus is uniquely. Uh, he has a, an intimacy, an intimate relationship with the Lord that no one else has. And that's why he begins this piece with saying that the gospel's content is this son, this Jesus. So we have this intimate relationship that this son has uh, with God and also that the pre-existence of the son is coming into human existence. The reason why I say that is it's very important for Paul to make very clear to the Romans that when you think of the birth of this Jesus person, it was more of a begetting. And when you go into the scriptures, it's talking begetting. That's almost like the sense of becoming. See, Jesus, it wasn't that he did not exist and now he exists. It was that he existed always. And now what's happened is that his existence of the realm has changed where he existed in eternity. And now what he does, he exists as a human. So he comes into earth. So these are the assumptions that Paul makes, even as he begins to set his case 
for why the resurrection matters. Okay, so I'm going to I want to play that back again because I want us to get this. So he says, hey, the son of God regarding this gospel is, is regarding the son is Jesus, who as to his human nature was the descendant of David. Very important that he talks about this human nature piece and this descendant of David piece, because in the mindset of a first century Jew, it was very important for him to connect the lineage for him to say, yeah, your people, that descendant guy in the Old Testament, David, was promised that there would be a reign, that, that David's kingdom would never end and that this it would reign forever. He says, well, guess what? This is a guy. He's a descendant of David, and he has a sense of human nature. He is a human. Human nature being very important, as we can pop this up. When you hear human nature in scripture, it usually you see the word flesh sometimes, human nature. The point of that, um, it's a very packed term, but its point is that is that is, is to deal with the issue of frailty, of, of transitory, of being of being weak. Uh, is that is that basically he wants you and me to see that this Jesus figure comes who is pre-existent son of God, where he's pre-existent, always existing God's son here. And then what he does, he becomes merely human. It's almost as if he wants you and me to see how puny we are and what God has done in order for us to be saved, that basically he had to become humanity to save humanity. Merely human. So Paul's making a case here. Someone academic, but I want you to get this. So I'm observing him again. So Paul, being a servant of Christ, who is called by Christ, says, I am now his slave. Why are you his slave? Is it that intense? Why do you feel like you've got to be his servant? Why, why does it have to be that intense? He says, because I've been set apart for this gospel, this good news of God, this gospel which was always presented for thousands of years about this son, Verse three, who as to his human nature is a descendant of David, saying, hey, it's great that this guy has a human reign. That he, but, but if we just focus on the human piece, we miss something. And that's what's so important about verse four. So verse three is saying that this Jesus person is fully human. But then he continues on and says in verse four, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we get into some craziness. So what I want to propose is this. There's another assumption that I need to make clear is that Paul is saying, so as in the human nature, he's a descendant of David. But right now we need to understand there's another component of Jesus that is extremely important for us to understand why the resurrection is important. And that is we have to understand the issue first of our destiny. See, if you don't get this, I need to make really clear for you. And if you do get this, hopefully this would encourage you about our state. The scriptures teach from Genesis that you and me, we are birthed by God's grace because he makes us his image bearers. The reason why he makes us his image bearers is because God is fully good. He's fully loving. He's fully awesome. And in himself, he could fully he didn't need anything. So God is here. And in what he does out of his abundance of his love, out of the abundance of his beauty, out of the abundance of his power, the scripture says that he makes creation. All the things we see and the things even that we don't know and see. He says, I made all those things because I'm so awesome. I needed to share my goodness with other people. So I just made people. 
So that's what he does. So God makes all these things. And then what he does is he makes you and me a part of his creation. He says, I'm going to make you, but I'm going to make you the pinnacle of my creation. And the scriptures talk about this issue of imago Dei. I'm going to make you the image of God. I'm going to allow you to bear my image. See, see, we are so unlike all other creation because we are the only creation that actually are image bearers, where we can reflect God, where we can remind God of himself, where we actually have the, the capacity by his grace to choose to worship God or to choose not to worship God. Nothing else in all of creation can do that. A sun has to be a sun. A moon has to be a moon. A leaf has to be a leaf. And a dog has to be a dog. And the way they worship God is by doing those things well. Barking, wagging your tail, eat cat, eat cat food. That's how they worship God. The way you and me worship God is that we, we either give our volition to God and say, Jesus, I'm going to choose to not choose Alexis. I'm going to choose to not fornicate. And I'm going to choose to bow down to you and give you my life, be a servant, obviously, like verse 1 in Paul, or I'm going to choose to have the audacity to be my own God, to think I can do my own thing, to worship my own stuff, to go about my life doing all the things that I want to do because I'm really my own God. Those are our choices. Well, we had the audacity from the fall, which is if you've ever heard that story before, that man failed because we had the audacity to think that we could be our own gods and do our own thing. And so what we did was we sinned. And in sinning, what God could have done, because he's totally perfect, he's totally just, he's totally holy, is that he could have destroyed all of us right then and killed all of us, and he would have been totally justified in doing so. But he didn't. Because of his mercy and his grace, what he did was he said, I'm going to provide another plan for you. I'm going to provide a plan of recreation. Because I make things, I make them good, and Satan or no one's going to tell me not that I make them good. And so what I'll do is I'll take the things I make, I won't destroy them and then make something new. I'm going to take what I made and I'm going to make it better. How how about I say complete? Okay? And so what God says is, I'm going to bring in new creation. But the way I'm going to bring in new creation, because I'm so cool, this is God talking, not me, I'm so cool that I'm going to bring new creation in by having all the bad stuff because of what we've done, because of evil. I'm going to let evil come in, and then we're going to, the world's going to be all crazy, and then the world's going to be, as it were, decreated. And so what you and I do is we live life, if you're not a Christian, and when I wasn't a Christian, decreating, destroying ourselves, destroying relationships destroying the earth, the the earth that we're supposed to be stewards over, right? And that's what we do. We decreate. But God says, one day, I'm going to bring, so I get it. So you go through life, you're decreating, you're evil, you messed up. The Bible's about a good God and bad people. And then what I'm going to do, though, is because I realize there's nothing you can do to make this thing good, I'm going to have to do it in you. So God could have destroyed us, but then he said, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to give you another plan, another way. That's the assumption that Paul has here. And so, in essence, because of decreation, because we are decreating, I mean, we are decomposing ourselves, destroying ourselves, making ourselves less like God. We're being, we're becoming inhuman versus being fully human. God says, guess what we need to do? Because you and Eric and you can't, and you can't, Ms. Moberg, we can't make ourselves be like God. We can't make ourselves perfect. He says, what I'll do is I realize the world needs these things. A human person needs a person that's human. Continue on. A perfect person to be perfect, filled with God's spirit, to have appointed to him the power to defeat Satan, sin, evil, and death. That's where Jesus comes in. So he says, you can't do it. But guess what? What we need is we need a perfect person 
who, who will be filled with God's spirit, the scripture says, who will be have appointed to him. And now don't miss that. Go back to the verse. I want you to see this, guys. This is very, very important to understand this text. Why does the resurrection matter? Why does the resurrection matter? Because look at it. To have appointed to him the power to defeat sin, Satan, evil, death, and decay. Had to be a perfect person who would be God. But don't miss that. Have appointed to him. Very key word there in verse 4. The scriptures say that and he was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Let me tell you what it's saying here. It's saying in the scriptures that in essence, that something happened at the resurrection, guys. See, basically, so Jesus comes and then he dies on the cross as Savior. Okay. But then the scriptures say right there that something actually happened at the resurrection. And that is that God's that, that basically the Son of God, the scriptures say, became the Son of God in power. What does that mean? It's saying that there's something that happened. Now, you say, well, are you saying that Jesus, he changed his essence, that he was not the Son of God before? Of course not. He was the Son of God before, but I'm telling you that the scriptures are saying that the resurrection was not a mere formality. But that actually something happened, not in essence, right? It wasn't that he became something better, but it's that his role distinction changed. His role distinction in relation to the world, not in relation to his father. He was always the son of God and he's going to always be the son of God. But when he went to the cross for you and me, died for our sins in order to bring about that new creation, the scriptures say that the father was pleased and said, look what my son has done. Therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to coronate him. I'm going to inaugurate him. I'm going to put him and exalt him in a place where no longer is he just Messiah to save and pay for sin, but he is King, Messiah and Lord over the world. The resurrection matters. And that's what happened at the resurrection. Let me continue on, please. So that the pre-existent son who entered into human experience, okay? So he enters into human experience. And the scripture says that he enters into human experience as Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God that has taken, over, that has taken the sin of the world, the scriptures say in the Gospels. But that something happens at the resurrection. It says that he was appointed, as you look at that text, we look at verse 4. It says he was appointed on the basis of the resurrection to a new and more powerful position than he had before the resurrection. Do you believe that? Does the resurrection matter that much? I don't propose to you believers and unbelievers that sometimes we don't think that. We'll talk about that in a moment. Continue on, please. The word empower is huge. Let me try and give you a pictorial uh, graph of it. This will be online so you can get it later. The resurrection matters, okay? So you have the world, guys. I want, you to, I want you to get this because if you're an unbeliever right now, I want to help you understand what's happened in history. This is what happened in history, and this is why we shout. This is why we clap. This is why we play these instruments. This is why we sing. And if you're a believer, this is why you shout. This is why you clap. This is why we play instruments, and this is why we sing. Okay? So the world. We have the world. God's created all things. We bring the world to decay. We destroy the world. Left into ourselves, we'll all blow up like big old pieces of popcorn. It says, the world comes, Jesus, what he does, he comes as Messiah. He comes into the world for the purpose of, of, of seeking those who are lost, saving his sheep, dying for us. He was murdered on your and my behalf, right? So he comes as Messiah. The scriptures say then, what happens is as he is Messiah, then he continues on. Please continue on. It says, now 
because he died as Messiah, he rises from the dead, and here's what happens. Now he reigns as Lord over the whole world. And here's the beauty of that, is that the Father said because he died and rose from the dead, he makes him reign as Lord, and what that does, that provides him the power to now, when you and I come to Jesus, the scriptures say, to say, will you pay for my sin? Will you, will you rescue me from death? He can say yes. He can say yes. Because now he's been given another role. His W-2 changes. He adds a little something. Guess what? I'm also the reigning, powerful Lord, not just the Messiah. And then what happens is that we see him reigning, and they, guess what? You know, when we see, we see the, the retelling, or we see the fulfillment of the famous scripture in Genesis, the proto-euangelion they talk about in Genesis, where he is going to crush Satan's heel, and he could crush Satan with his heel, and the scriptures say that he defeats death, he defeats Satan, he defeats evil, and now we reign with him. The resurrection matters. It matters, guys. That informality. Now, here's the funny thing. A lot of times we think as people continue on, I think historically it could be two things, and that's why we're going to talk about this. Okay? For believers, here's what we think a lot of times. We look at the resurrection, and we really think it's a mere formality. We look at it and we go, and our minds are like, okay, he was sauce, he was son of God, he's already God, so why does the resurrection really matter? You know, like, what's really going on? You know, like, we almost look at it like God had to dot his eyes, right, and cross his T's and scriptures as far as prophecy. As if he's just trying to fulfill prophecy. Like, nothing really changes ontologically for Jesus, but he just, you know, in a sense of like, like, what his role distinction, he just, you know, he said it's in scripture, and so he'll look kind of stupid if he didn't do it, so I guess I'll die, and then I guess I'll rise from the dead and be the lamb and stuff. You know, and, that, and we can kind of see it as like, he's just kind of... You know, this, this, this deal with formalities. I'm proposing to you, no, the resurrection matter. Something happened at the resurrection to Jesus. Jesus died and became alive again. We can just think it's about validation, right? So Jesus, nothing really happened. You had a, a Jesus who was fully God and then he died and, and he got up again and, and that's it, right? Well, I'm proposing that the scriptures don't teach that. I'm proposing that scriptures teach something happened at the resurrection that should excite you and me because God gave him a place, a role distinction, a focus to say, now you've been coordinated to do something that I didn't ask you to do before. Unbelievers, you believe, is just a myth without any importance. Um, and even if it happened, you believe, maybe you'll, you know, you'll, give, you'll give Jesus credit, you know, He's a real powerful dude or something. And it's crazy. That's absolutely mayhem. Is that the reality in history is that the Savior died, was murdered, crucified, buried three days, and then rose from the dead in order for you and me to actually finally experience what it means to be truly human. And that's the beauty of the resurrection. The resurrection matters, family. Continue on, please. These conclusions I would propose are in a disagreement of... The, the conclusion that I said before, they disagree with Scripture. Look at what the Scriptures say. Read the Scriptures. Not just, that's not proof text when we're looking at Romans 1. Look what he says in Scriptures. This is Philippians 2, very famous verse. Look what he says. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, which basically means he did not have to grasp at equality with God because he already possessed it. Right? He's God. <clears throat> but made himself nothing to take the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, 
even death on the cross. You see the scriptures family, verse nine. Therefore, okay, so death on the cross, because of the death on the cross, he had the resurrection. Therefore, what God did, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That's a resurrection. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It pleased the Lord for, for Jesus to be put on blast and to say, I'm going to give you this role. I'm going to exalt you to now do something with the world and creation in a way that's even, even as even more crazy than even as you're saving them for the sin. If they can now come to you. Continue on, please. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This all happened at the cross and resurrection. Continue on, please. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Talking about the Lord uh, Jesus. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has, for he has put everything under his feet. Um, now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. So when did he put everything under Christ? I'm proposing he put everything under Christ at the resurrection. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. You got this beautiful picture of the Trinity, this fireball of love that we talk about in Macab a lot, where you got the father giving the kingdom to Jesus and Jesus being like, oh, thanks, father. Here, no, you take the kingdom. No, you take the kingdom. No, you take the kingdom. I mean, that's the beauty of the Trinity. No one tripping. They all cool with everybody getting the kingdom because they're that because of fireball of love. There's no jealousy. Perfect guy. You get that. OK, so the resurrection matters. Continue on, please. So the point in that, guys, is Jesus is unchanging, okay? We all admit that, but this is what I want you to get. Continue on. The resurrection brings coronation and exaltation status of the Lord, okay, guys? And that when you see the term in verse 4, empower, that he's saying that he brings salvation, but also there's an empower piece where he is actually Lord in power in relation to the world. In relation to the world, that he now becomes our king. And I say role in relation to the world is retroactive. Now hear me there. Hear me here. Because think about it. When he died on the cross for your sin, what happened? Okay. So he dies on, on, he dies on Friday uh, for sin. So does he, does, that, does he pay for sin from Friday on? Of course not. His payment for sin has always been retroactive, right? He dies for sin. He died for sin for all time, for all creation. Praise the Lord. In the same way, it's not that his lordship and that empower reign is like has a has a uh, a temporal date. It's not like now and then some. It's that what God did, He established at the resurrection, and it's for all time. And so in Colossians and all the books you can read, you will see Jesus is always our reigning king. He's always the Lord of all. He always has all these titles because, but they are retroactive and they are pinpointed at the cross and resurrection. This might be a lot for, for us. The cross, the resurrection matters, guys. So I leave here just thinking, oh, it's okay. But you see, in the scriptures here, the point is that Jesus' roles are just growing. Do you see that? You, you look at the text here, uh, the roles are just simply growing. I mean, you start, he is uh, Christ Jesus, he is Messiah, he is the seed of David. The scriptures say he is the Savior, and he is in power, and he is the Lord. Able to free you and free me. 
From sin, death, decay, Satan, and evil. Do you hear me? That's why. That's why we shout. That's why we get excited. Because the resurrection matters. But now what? As you think of scripture, continue on. Let me tell you one quick thing too. So when you look at chapter four, um, verse four, there's a clear distinction that I want to make very, um, that's very important. He gives two, he gives two terms to try and bring this sense out of like, that there's something that happened at the resurrection. We talked about the empower piece, but also look at verse four. What does he do? He makes a, he compares, he compares the spirit of God, right? He talks about the spirit of holiness, uh, to, uh, this sense of the flesh, right? Human nature, spirit of holiness, human nature, spirit of holiness. Very important. Don't miss this, guys. Here's why he's doing that. It's because he's trying to help us understand something. There was an inauguration at the resurrection. What was the inauguration? We have the old age, okay? You have the old age, the age of sin, death, and decay. Remember the fall? We are in destruction. I want us to get that, that we're messed up evil people. Just think about all. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you hear the famous adages, you don't have to teach a child how to lie. We're evil, messed up people, and we'll destroy ourselves left to ourselves. And so that's the realm we live in. We live in a graveyard, and we're just walking around a graveyard. And then what God does is in his new age, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring in new creation. I promised it, and I'm going to bring it. So what he does is he actually brings in new creation by bringing himself into creation. You get that? Is that when Jesus came, it wasn't just a dude that was born. What he did was he ushered in a whole new realm. A whole new realm was brought in. When, Je- when Jesus was birthed into this world, he said, now I have, the kingdom has come. In your hearing, the scriptures say. And so what happens is now you have this old age, and what he does is he bursts in the new age. But then what happens, you have what they call the now and not yet. You have this old age of sin and and depravity and craziness, and we struggle with that. And then you have this new age of joy, peace, and life. And so those who are now born again through new birth, what we are now, we're in the middle of that realm. Right. We are in the world. We're right now in this system of the old age dealing with the decay that comes with being in the old age. But we do it as new birth people in the new age. So we receive the promise and the Holy Spirit right now in the old age. But one day what God is doing is this is just a deposit. This is just a reminder. This is just a precursor. He's saying the power that you're getting right now in the spirit where you're choosing Jesus, where you're choosing to be holy, where you're fighting against sin, where you're trying to make Christ known in this community, where you're trying to be agents of new creation in this community. All that's a precursor to remind you and to remind the world that Jesus has actually reigned and actually that the resurrection body that he has promised that one day we'll get when he makes all things. Is new. That's what's going on right now. Is that you and I are in the middle of that, and we're fighting right now to remind ourselves that we don't live in this age anymore. We are participants, we are residents and members of the new age, even though we're in this old age place. But one day God will make this old age new. Because He's going to make it new, and He's going to make you new. And he has the power and the ability to do it because of the resurrection. The resurrection matters. So now what? All that's true. Now do you see why Paul will say, I, Paul, am a slave of Christ? If that's true, how do you go on living the same way you used to live? 
How do you go on living in an old age when he's made you new age people? If that's true, how does that not just change everything you do with your wife and your kids and your community and your friends and your resources? Everything changes now. And for Paul, who was a Pharisee, he had reached the heights of the ecclesiastical ladder. He was the most religious man of prominence. He was part of the Sanhedrin. You couldn't get higher than Paul from the perspective of religion. He was extremely schooled. His pedigree was out the window. And yet the scripture said, he, he said, I counted all loss for knowing Jesus. Because in Christ now, my whole life has been changed. The gospel has changed me. Everything I do now is different. My whole life is about Jesus and his reign and his people and his creation because now I'm a new creation person. I don't live in old creation. So now my degrees don't really matter that much. My money don't really matter that much. My girlfriend don't really matter that much. Only Jesus now. You see what happens when we realize that the resurrection matters? It matters. Now what? He says, through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship. He says, now, because of God's grace, his unmerited favor. If you don't know what grace is, that means unmerited favor. That means something you didn't deserve. We should have been walking right into death's door. And then God taps you and says, turn around. Come here. You're mine. Well, what did I do to deserve it? Absolutely nothing. I should burn you into hell, but I love you. So come on. That's what grace is. You don't deserve it. God says, God says through Paul, by grace. He says, now I receive apostleship. I've received a new destiny. Apostleship. He says, I've, I've been called, I've, I'm called now to, to make, make, no, make much of Jesus, to, to present him and see people come to obedience and faith. Let me continue on. It says, and you, I'm sorry, let me read it back. It says, and also you are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what he says. Now what? If all that's true, guys, what does that mean for our lives? Continue on. Look at Paul's new focus in life. It seems to be two things that I want to explain. This is his new focus. If all that's true, and obviously for Paul that was really true, okay, because we have a guy who dies a martyrdom death, uh, just forsaken like crazy. And so we look here, it says, first, I want to deal with his role. His role changes. Okay, he was a Pharisee, he was killing Christians, he had great prominence, he was powerful, his role changed. Boom, road to Damascus, he realized the reality of Jesus. Jesus said, you're persecuting me, guess what? He didn't just do some hyper-spiritual thing, he was an extremely important, very theologically astute Jew, memorized the Pentateuch, so when, when Jesus caught him, all the stuff in his mind started getting filled with gospel. He started going, oh, so that's why it happened like that in Ezekiel 36. Oh, that's why it happened like that in Jeremiah 31. Oh, that's why it happened like that in Exodus 12. And he started going, everything's about Christ. My whole life needs to change. Oh, my goodness. Everything's about Christ. And so guess what? He said, oh, I used to be about myself. I used to be about trying to protect this religion. Now it's about King Jesus. And he said, my whole life has now changed to where every, everything I do is about calling people to obedience and faith. That's his life now. And let's talk about what that means, because we can get a misunderstanding. First of all, he has a proper understanding of faith and obedience. OK, continue on, please. Faith and obedience are closely related, guys. OK, now here's what happens a lot of time. Um. We can think of 
obedience and faith. You can say, well, faith comes first and then obedience. I'm proposing when we do stuff like that, you're missing the essence of what Paul is trying to say. I'm proposing that scripturally and biblically, that faith and obedience are always closely inter- interrelated. They're always mutually interpreting each other. And this is why you get so many people, even in our community and all around the world, who think that they can have faith and not obedience. Or you can be, have obedience in that faith because we prostituted it. We, we have messed it up so people don't have the, a clear understanding of what it means. See, the reality is you can't equate them, you can't compartmentalize them, and you can't make them two separate experiences. It seems that they work hand in hand for the glory of God. That, you, that a person, right, if you're talking about having faith, you have to have obedience or you don't have faith. If you have an obedience and it's not in faith, it doesn't please the Lord. Works mutually together. Does that make sense? And Paul is saying, what I'm doing, my life now, is about people getting the gospel in that way. Where, there's, where God awakens them, they understand that this is a reality of, my, I have faith in the Lord, and in that I'm obeying Christ. He continues on. I want to I get one more, one more nuance here uh, to make sure we, we, don't, we don't miss it. I want to make sure we don't bypass this text because you see the word apostleship. He's talking about you and me too. Let me tell you why. Because what you have here, guys, you have a general, you have this uh, general call and a specific nuance. Okay? The specific nuance is that, that God has called him to be an apostle. Okay? He probably, he's not called you to be an apostle in that way. But the general, the general statement is that we are all his missionaries. So we're all his, his kingdom people, his sent people called to proclaim Christ. And oh, Paul, here's your specific role as you're called to proclaim Christ. So you have a general exclamation, proclaim Christ, right? And the, the specific nuance is him being called to apostleship. Because when you become a Christian, and if you are right now saying, I might want to be a Christian, here's what it means to be a Christian, is that God saves you by grace, you realize you're a sinner, you say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins, you give your life to Jesus by faith, and then God says, I recreate you in the spirit realm, I make you fill with my spirit, you have my spirit, you're born new in Christ, and guess what, now I commission you to be my missionary. That we become his missionaries. And so, we see apostleship, you're right, he's talking about Paul, but you're wrong if you move on to the next verse, because he's saying, Paul is an apostle, you're still a missionary. Make me known. The role of all of us in the new life is to, that your, your, your primary purpose, every person, not just me because I'm a pastor, not if you just like to talk a lot. No, no, no. The most shy, the shyest person in this room is a missionary if you know Jesus. And if you are not proclaiming Christ, you are a disobedient missionary. And I would propose that some of you need to ask yourself, are you a Christian? Because if you are not making Christ known, which is, the, which is the reason why we exist as new creation, you want to ask yourself those questions. It could be because you're in a whack church and they even taught you this, and God is gracious. But if you know that to be the case and you're just disobedient, you might want to ask yourself about your faith. The second piece, his role, but also you see his motivation. Check this out. So Paul says, there's only two biggies right now. My life is for Christ, hidden in God. I love Jesus, and I'm going to make him known. And then he says, the other piece, I just love how simple it is. He says, the other piece, my whole motivation is not for me. It's not even for the people that I lead to Christ. But my whole motivation is for the glory of Jesus. That his whole motivation for living, his whole motivation for proclaiming the gospel is for Christ. That's why he exists now. Continue on. 
So what should we do? The call is simple, guys. Simple and powerful. The scriptures tell us. Please put them up. Just simply believe in Jesus. Everything that you need for life. We implore you. We come here on Sundays. People have moved. We moved into this community. We neighbor here. I've been here five years now. Uh, I mean, we have an unbelievable body of people. More people moving in, trying to get homes. Here's why. First of all, because we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And that life has changed for us. See, that's why, see, that's why some of our parents, that's why people don't, don't understand. I think we're crazy. We're not. We believe that Jesus rose. If Jesus rose from the dead, it ain't about me no more. It's about, okay, well, where is Christ not being made known? Where is there spiritual apathy? Where are people hurting? We're going to go there and we're going to stand in the gap. And we're going to take our money, and we're going to take our education, and we're going to take our context, and we're going to say, guess what? Okay, that guy might not have the pool, but I got the pool, and I'll have pool for him for Jesus, because Jesus loves him too. And he's created in God's image, that we are here to help people understand the dignity they have in Christ. We're not here just to make people middle class. We are here to make people understand that God is king, and that they can experience him and experience full humanity, right? Full humanity. And so that's why we do what we do. We are here because God, by his grace, we're not smart. We actually are goofy and, and silly and we argue all the time. We're all crazy. And by God's grace, do we even have a degree? But I tell you something, we are here. We're saying we're going to neighbor. We're going to love. We're going to proclaim until we drop dead because Christ is king. It changes what you do in your life. At some level, if you say, I know Jesus, and nothing has changed in your life, you're still worshiping your money, it's still about your stuff, and you're tipping Jesus on the side, until you fooled yourself. You fooled yourself. And so I, I'll get emails, whatever, but I'm imploring you to understand the true gospel. Christ, he is free. He also costs something. Christ is free. The gospel is free. But to say, man, guess what it costs? Your life. You have to give your life. I don't know what that looks like. But man, don't fool yourself. Please. We implore you here. The resurrection matters. Outside of the resurrection, there's no life. There's no joy. It's simple. Confess your sin. It's agreeing with the Lord. Lord, I am, I'm a wreck. I'm evil. And I need you. And guess what? It's not going to just be a professional confessor, but I'm going to repent. Okay, so it's always been about me. I'm, I'm, I'm 32. I'm 45. I'm 57. I'm 68. I'm 85. And all my whole life, it's been about me. Today, I realize it's not about me. And no matter how old or how young you are, God says today, you can confess, agree with God that you need Jesus. And he says, then repent, Lord, do something to me that I can't do it myself. I repent. I change my ways. Holy Spirit, I want to know and worship Jesus as king, not myself anymore. I was confused at thinking I could do it myself. I was confused at thinking I could be my own God. I repent of that madness. And then believe in Jesus. Say, Lord, I, I trust you. I messed up. I got all kind of sin patterns. You don't come perfect. I'm so, we jack, you're going to be jacked up. And you will be jacked up even in the gospel. I'm messed up. I just I want to be able to trust my Savior. I don't want to trust me. 
and receive your Lord. Just enjoy the gospel. Live a life. Now, don't miss this. Live a life motivated by grace, not by duty. Don't go, okay, I'm a Christian now. Now I got to read my Bible every day. I got to go share my faith every day. I got to go, what else I got to do, Eric? Tell me what I got to do. Please tell me what I got to do. No, you, you miss the gospel. The gospel is about you doing nothing and Jesus doing everything. And so now you get to live free, motivated by grace. And as you're serious about the Lord, he'll begin to do some things in your heart. He'll begin to do some things. He'll work it out for his glory. That's theology. That's theology, guys. Now, practically, as you're doing that, I want to propose surround yourself around a community of faith. Don't do that in a vacuum. But you got, I'm telling you, if you're in this community, you have, I, I'm in, I feel like the Lord has provided me and my wife and our kids with the best community I've ever been a part of in my life. You are, you are looking a, you are looking a gift horse in a mouth to be in this community and to try and do Christianity all by yourself. I think that's absolutely stupid. Now, I might get some emails for that. You have an unbelievable body of people who love the Lord, who love each other, who serve each other, who want to be in your life and who wants to care for you. I want to encourage you to really connect and plug in. We are praying for multi-ethnic. We got white folks here, black folks. We want more of the people in our community to come out. Guess what? They have to risk a lot. Our black brothers and sisters have to risk a lot to come into this community at this stage because in our hood, we're not used to being a minority. And in this body, black folks are a minority. But guess what? I'm praying that our African-American brothers and sisters understand we have to be sacrificial lambs because although there's more white people here, I believe the gospel is being preached and this body is a body of love in Christ. So don't you let race mess you up. And white folks, you need to be out here making sure you're loving black folks in this community because you're here. I ain't mean to get racial on Resurrection Week, but hey, that's where we are. That's our community. <laughs> Surround yourself. Start reading the Bible, not just in, not just in Starbucks, start reading the Bible in community, okay? Start coming, start being in community. Continue on this floor. Pray in community. Continue. Make Christ known in this community. Learn how to make Christ known. Guys, and we would propose that you, you, you consider discipleship, being discipled, learning what does it mean to walk by faith, communicate and multiply your faith. That's our prayer. And we do all that, guys, because the resurrection matters. That Jesus died for us. He rose for us. And he was put in the exalted place for you and me. So that we wouldn't have to go back through life. Just trying to pull our bootstraps up. Trying to do our own thing. But now we can trust in the Savior who not only has the authority but also the power to accomplish what he said he would accomplish. To defeat Satan, sin, and death. To give us our resurrection, right? To allow us to be risen spiritually. And to fulfill the act of new creation. The resurrection matters. The question that's always proposed to all of us is, does it matter to you? That's the question. With that said, we're going to do a time of communion right now, guys. Does the resurrection matter to you? We pray it matters. I mean, we are blown away. I'll share and I'll go outside and people, we're serious, almost like the, the word of God. Just goes, we pray that you would just... Think about, does the resurrection matter to you? How? Time of communion. If you are new here, here's, we want to be very clear. Communion is a time for the people of God only, okay? 
That means that if you are right now just thinking about this thing, we ask that you allow these elements to pass by you. This is for those who say, Jesus, you're my king. I live my life dedicated to you just as Paul does. If you are right now saying, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. Don't wait. Give your life right now by faith. Jesus, I love you. I, 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 hate, I want to hate sin. I repent. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Trust your Savior. And guess what? And then get up and have this be the first act of worship in your life where you can take communion and say, I'm taking communion as a new believer because I am washed by the blood and his body was broken for me. That's what the, that's what the bread represents. His body broken for you. Uh, the wine represents his blood shed for our sins. Parents, don't have your kids come up here and take communion unless you know they love Jesus. Okay? This is not a refreshment. This is communion. Okay? So we take this very seriously. Okay, guys? So just, just graciously have your kids sit and wait if they do not love Jesus. And you help, them, you help them understand about the gospel later. But we do not play with this time. Is that clear? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Uh, take it in your own in your own volition in the sides here. Uh, are we going to have a time of people? We're going to be praying. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna. You can go to the sides, the back, sit down, take it in your own volition. Okay, and then what we want you to do is to is to sing out to the Lord because He's worthy. Because this is a joyous time. Okay, guys. And uh, what I want to encourage you also is we're gonna do a time of tithe and offering. Okay, uh, we're gonna do that first. You know, come on down. I'm gonna pray. We're going to do talent offering. Uh, we ask if you are new here, please keep your wallets to your side. Keep your purses to your side. We don't want your money. We're so glad you came to worship uh, Jesus. We hope that you are, in, are encouraged and we hope that you get the gospel. Um, if you did not, um, if you, this is an act of worship for Mac Ave, if you get that, that this is an act of worship, we ask that you worship your king. But we don't ask you to give out a compulsion. Okay, so please, if you're a visitor, just relax. Unless you understand I'm worshiping my king, then please worship your king. Uh, but don't give out a compulsion. You don't need to tip God. He's a, he owns a cat of a thousand hills. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to do tithe and offering. Then in your religion, you come up and take the communion. You can go and sit down and just enjoy the Lord. And then we're going to stand up and we're going to be worshiping our king together. Okay, guys, pray with me. The resurrection matters, guys. And ask yourself, does it matter to you? Dear Jesus.